0: You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. Thank you, Chris. It is good to be here on Sunday morning. Let's get this out of the way. A lot of comments on the suit. Um, I, um, I don't know uh, what my grandmother can and cannot see in heaven but I ain't taking any chances. So if I'm preaching on Sunday morning in the Baptist church and she knew I didn't have a suit on, I don't want her appearing at the foot of my bed tonight. So, uh, so this, is, this is for her. Uh, my name is Rick Burgess. And in case uh, we haven't met or you're visiting here, my wife Sherry and I and Whitney and Blake Prime here on the front row, we teach a life group here. Uh, Sherry and I have been members of the church for two years, about two years. About a year and a half, something like that. So we're relatively new here. Uh, so uh, this is somewhat reckless what the church has done today. Uh, but, um, but I don't take it lightly to get the opportunity uh, to stand in this pulpit and to share God's word. Um, so we're, we're talking about... New Beginnings, we, we just sang about New Beginnings, and, and it's New Year's Day. And, you know, isn't that a, a, a great feeling, that feeling of, whoo! I get a do-over. Does anybody remember when I grew up in Cheahawakers, number one, if something went wrong in one of our games, what would somebody green, uh, scream? Do-over! And we'd just start the whole thing over. Do you remember that? And, and so, even though it's just a number on a calendar, uh, it always gives us that opportunity to assess where we are. The Apostle Paul tells us in his his second letter to Corinthians, which made uh, our our holy word, um, he's telling the church at Corinth as he sees open sin in the church, he tells them to examine themselves to see if they even are of the faith. And and this is an opportunity for us to do that today. Um, If if you've got your Bible or something with your Bible on it, I want you to turn uh, to Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter... 32. Um, And and I want you to turn there because we we actually, I do a Wednesday Bible study um, at my office. um, And then it also is on uh, our our YouTube channel every week. If you ever want to join us, you can. And we just finished a year in the book of Genesis. All the men in the Bible study have been telling me, we want to do the revelation. We want to do the revelation. And my wife, Sherry said, rightfully, she said, you cannot teach people the end if they don't understand the beginning. So we spent an entire year uh, in the beginning. And we just finished that, and this message rolls up out of Genesis, and and, and it really is perfect for today. If you are planning anything that has to do with a new beginning, and Jesus Christ is not part of that, you are wasting your time. The revelation tells us what, in, in, in Revelation 21, speaking of the revelation, we are told that, 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 that John sees this revelation of Jesus Christ, and he says, Behold, the one that was sitting on the throne. And who is that? That's Jesus. He said, Behold, I am making all things new. So when, when, when Nicodemus is talking to Jesus in, in, in the gospel of John in chapter 3, and he's not understanding this new covenant, and he's talking to Jesus. And Jesus doesn't say, well, I would appreciate it if you would be born again. Uh, it, would be, it would be awesome if you'd be born again. If it's not too much of a hassle, you, 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 he said, you must be born again. You must be. You must be made new. And we're going to see uh, this, 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 this full foreshadowing in Genesis of the covenant, of the gospel. And, and we're going to walk through this step by step, and then there's going to be an opportunity for you and I to respond. To what? God. God. So let, let's look at what's going on in Genesis 32. Jacob, uh, if you remember, he, he tricked his brother Esau out of his birthright and out of the blessing, along with his mama, And he's had to flee because why? Esau said, I'm going to kill you for what you did. And so he has spent over 20 years in fear of Esau. Now, God has told him after he finally frees him from his struggles with Laban, which we'll talk about, you now need to return to the land that I promised to your ancestors. And Jacob gets fired up. He finally frees himself from Laban, and he gets his wives together, and he gets his children together, he gets his herds together. He goes through all the different attempts from Laban to try to deceive him out of more and more and more, and he's on his way back, and then all of a sudden it hits him. Wait a minute. I'm about to see Esau. So, so the first thing that I want you to understand when you look at 32 in verse 7, the first point I want to make, and I, let me encourage you on something that changed my life. My wife was very good at this. I wasn't. Adrian Rogers, God rest his soul as he's in glory, once said this truth, that the cheapest pen and the cheapest highlighter will serve you better than the greatest memory. Can I encourage you to come into worship? Can I encourage you to get something to write on? Can I encourage you to take notes? Can I encourage you to highlight things in scripture? Because I don't know about you, my recall is getting harder and harder the older I get. And it's important if you really want to learn this and you really want to grow spiritually, you're going to have to start writing things down. Okay, so I would encourage you that that's part of what you bring to worship every Sunday is something to write on or something to highlight with. So look at what happens in Genesis 32 verse 7, and this will be our first point. Many times we're afraid of the wrong thing. Many times we're afraid of the wrong thing. Look, look what Jacob is focused on here in verse 7, and he's completely wrong. In verse 7, his concern is Esau. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. Look what he said uh, about that because he was, he was concerned that he was about to face Esau. And he starts this elaborate plan, which we don't have time for, to try to soften the blow so that when he meets Esau, maybe Esau has gotten past it. I don't know about you, but but in the job that I have, I get to interact with people quite a bit. And what I've noticed, and this includes me in this, this, this message today applies to me. This message is from God. It's not from me. And everything we're talking about, I'm talking about us and we. I'm not talking about you. Okay? And so understand that because some of this is going to be difficult and some of it you're not going to like. But it's the things that I didn't like that actually changed me. I don't know about you. But anyway, so many times what I see in our society today, and sadly within the church, is that we're afraid of everything we shouldn't be afraid of, and we're not afraid of what we should be afraid of. We're afraid of everything except God. And, and, and God is the only thing we should fear. Scripture tells us over and over that we don't even have any, any wisdom if we don't fear fear God. And many times we are afraid of, the, of, of, of pandemics, we're afraid of everything, but we're not afraid of God. And let me break something to you today about the beginning of a new year. Every single person in this room is in the exact same position. Today, you have never been closer than the return of Jesus Christ or your earthly death. You're closer right now than you've ever been to either one of those situations. And that situation is going to happen, one of them, to every single person, including me, in this room. And you would think, as our brother Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3, and he's talking about the day of the Lord. And he's talking about how God, by the way, those of you worried about man made global warming, don't worry about it. God saved that for himself. <laughs> this place is going to burn, but you ain't got nothing to do with it. And, and, and Peter lays out how bad that burning's going to be. He said, this place, I mean, every molecule is going to be whoo. And I love what he says after that. He said, and since we as a church claim to believe this day is coming, and we're closer today than we've ever been, you would think we would live lives that that feature godliness and holiness. He says, if we really believe that, you would think we'd live differently. But we're afraid of everything that we shouldn't be afraid of. But let me tell you what you and I need to be afraid of, the coming of the Lord. Are you right with God? So you may be fearing your Esau, but that's not what you should fear. The problem here is that God had Esau handled he had already softened Esau's heart. Now, you know, right now, Jacob, just around verse 7, he just had his guys come back, and he said he's coming with 400 men. Now, we don't know whether that's a literal 400 or he was an evangelist, and it's really about 100. <laughs> okay? But he says, <laughs> he says he's coming with 400 men. Well, Jacob says, I've always wondered at that moment, did you not get more details in that? Did you not tell him, are they mad? Does he seem angry? But Jacob is afraid. He said he's greatly afraid and greatly distressed because he doesn't think this is going to go well. But God had that handled. Listen to me. That's important. Don't miss that point. You and I are afraid of a lot of things, and the reason why we're afraid of them is we lack faith. We don't trust God. Because God had Esau handled. The issue, as you're going to find out, is that Jacob does have an issue, but it's not with Esau. I'm going to say that again. Jacob does have an issue, but it's not with Esau. So let's look at, at, let's move over now to verse 22. Verse 22, the same night he arose, this is after he's prepared for Esau, the, the encounter, and took his two wives and two female servants, his 11 children, and crossed the ford at Jabok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. So you got to give Jacob some credit here. He's he's growing up a little bit. He said, I want to get my wife, my family, I want my wives and my children, I want to get them to safety. This This is a new feature for Jacob. Okay, he's at least doing that. But God has got him so distressed that he's trying to get him where he's trying to get you and he's trying to get me because many times God speaks the most clearly when he gets us alone. Can anybody say amen to that? Can I tell you, if you want to concentrate on something that maybe you need to do better, and and I've already been praying about this, you need to make time alone with God. Because many times in the noise of life, you can't hear him. But if you'll spend time in solitude, as our Lord and Savior taught us, there's time that you need to be alone because God usually speaks to us the most clearly when we're alone. So what is God doing? I'm going to set up a time where he has to be alone. Because when he's alone, we're finally going to talk about what we need to talk about. Can I tell you, a lot of times I don't want to be alone with God because I don't want to hear what he has to say. I know if he gets me alone, I remember vividly, one time in my life, I got along with God. I'm talking about really alone. I was out in the woods, and it was, it was so quiet, and that, and that breeze began to blow across me. Okay? And I'm not one of these signs and wonders, people. I don't have to have signs and wonders. Okay? Got to be careful with signs and wonders because Satan can do those too. But I'm telling you, I've had encounters with God, and I've heard from God through his Scripture mainly. But in this position, I got ready to run my list with God of all the things I want to talk about. And I heard as clear as I could hear, be quiet. I'm going to talk. You listen. I've heard your list. I got your list. I knew your list before you started. Doesn't mean we don't give him the list. That's not what I'm saying. But in this particular moment, you know what he was saying? No, you listen. You listen to me. And I did. And there were things in my life that he pointed to. And he says, you know, we got an issue right here. I want to talk to you about this. And so that's really the situation that, that God is setting up for Jacob. His problem isn't with Esau. Jacob has that completely wrong. His problem is with God. And you're going to see that very clearly. So the next thing is what we have to talk about what happens next, and it gets, it gets very complicated, but we're not going to get too much in the weeds, I promise. But the third point is God only gives a new beginning to those who repent. I'm going to say that again. God only gives a new beginning and a new life to those who repent. That is the gospel. And if you're not careful right now, there is a deception that is going on that somehow this building of universalism, that it really doesn't matter what's going on in your life, it doesn't matter what's happening, it's all fine. There's no need to repent. There's no need to change the way you're living. God loves you right where you are. Well, that's true, but God never leaves us where we are. He, he has, we have the potential for his love, but really what we really need is his approval. I remember this in my life when I was a wayward man, young man, and my mama had to sit down with me and she said, here's what you need to know. We will always love you, but we do not approve of you. I'm sorry, we love you. We'll always love you. We just don't approve of you. Which means you don't get to do the things that you would like to do. We don't want you in our home. And you're not allowed there. And, unless you change. So it's true that God loves you, but is it true that God approves of you? It's true that God loves me, but is it true that he approves of me? How does he approve of me? I repent. I repent. I turn to 180 from my sin and I leave faith in self and I place my faith in Christ and I leave my own authority and I submit to his authority and I say, change me. And can I tell you, can we come off all this acting like Jesus can't change people? That's the thing I had to come to when I, when I, when I was living a cultural Christianity. And, and the, you know what the biggest evidence was that I wasn't truly redeemed? I wasn't changed. So I was basically telling the world, Jesus Christ is so insignificant that I can repent of my sin, which I never really did. I can believe in him, which was a better definition. I can believe in him, or I can leave faith in myself. I can be completely transformed by Jesus, but he really is inept on changing me. That he can't do. Is that the God you serve? A God that can't change you? That's not the God of the Bible, He's radically changing people, not because of their new commitment to self-control or their new commitment to a set of rules, because of his power. They, they, they died, and now he lives. So it, this repentance is about to take place. Now, if you look at the new covenant, sometimes this is, flies in the face of the new hippie Jesus that's been created. Uh, Jesus in Luke 13, they're asking him about, are the Gentiles bigger sinners than we are? You know what Jesus said? Let me, let me give everybody, heads up, this applies to everybody. Repent or perish. All must repent or they will perish. You know, we love all this stuff. You know, Jesus had a different, uh, he, he was mainly uh, calling out the Pharisees and, and, the, and the religious zealots and the legalists. That's true. He had a different tone with them. But he called everybody to repentance. The woman at the well, he didn't say, keep on sleeping with all these men. I'm good with that. The woman who was caught in adultery, he didn't say, go and keep on sinning. It's all good. If you were a Pharisee, I'd have a word with you. But since you're just a sinner, uh, you don't have No, he said, go and sin no more. He had a different tone based on where you were and if you were self-righteous or not. But there wasn't anybody that encountered Jesus he didn't call to repentance. No one. Everybody's called to repentance if you really want a new life and a new beginning. Look at this beautiful moment in the life of Jacob. And when he was left alone, picking up now in 24b, a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, "Let go, let me go, for the day has broken." But Jacob said, "I will not let you go until you bless me." And here comes twenty-seven, and we'll walk through all this. But here's twenty-seven, and he said to him, "What is your name?" Does anybody think God doesn't know Jacob's name? But he didn't have any idea who he is. Does, does anybody think that? Why is God asking what Jacob's name is when he knows? What what is this all about? Well, what does the name Jacob mean? One who deceives. Deceiver. You know what God is saying? Hey, Jacob, we haven't dealt with what you did to Esau. You've been running from me on this. I've been watching you run. I've been watching what you've been through with Laban. I've been here through all this. Now you're afraid to face Esau. Why are you afraid to face Esau? Not because you got a problem with Esau, because you have a problem with me. We haven't dealt with this. I told your mother that I would work the covenant through you, but you and your mama cut your own deal, and y'all deceived your daddy, and you deceived your brother in order to get it. And you've never repented of that. What is your name? My name is Deceiver. Deceiver. Finally, finally, you acknowledged your sin. And when God hears this acknowledgement that he owns his sin, then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Jacob knows he's not right with God, and that's why this, this wrestling, he bless me, bless me. God's already said he's going to bless him. But Jacob's not sure. He knows he's not right. He wants to wrestle with God. I want this blessing. I'm just not willing to repent. And God says, I've already told you that I would bless you. Now you repent. What's your name? I'm a deceiver. Finally. So, what do you and I need to say to God? Because God is asking you, and He is asking me, What is your name? Maybe you need to say, My name is sexually immoral. I'm a fornicator, either physically or with my heart. I watch porn. I'm doing things in my life, Lord. And you know what he's saying? I know. I'm an adulterer, either in my heart or physically. You know what God says? I know. I'm struggling. I'm I'm, I'm participating in homosexual activity. You know what God says? I know. Your name is homosexual. Your name is sexually immoral. Your name is fornicator. Your name is adulterer. Repent. Maybe your name is liar. Maybe your name is unforgiver. You're denying people forgiveness that Jesus did not deny you. And you won't let it go. Maybe it's prideful. Maybe that's your name. You're so arrogant, you don't even think you need to repent of anything. You're so smug and self-righteous, and you are very good at being loud about sins you don't struggle with but you're not about to admit the things you struggle with. Maybe that's your name. Maybe your name is Glutton. That was my name. That was one of my names. And I justified it for years. And I remember my wife talking to another friend of mine that struggled with gluttony, and she said, what was it? He said, what was it that made Rick change and address this? And I'm still addressing it. You know what she said to him? When he finally called it sin. When I finally said to God, "Gluttony's is a sin, and I'm a glutton. See, we don't repent of any sin. We want to acknowledge a sin. Maybe your name is drunk. You, you play that game. You go in there and say, well, the, the, the Bible about alcohol, and some of you Baptists with your, your grape juice thing, I just think that's silly. But as you're telling us about how you're a moderator in alcohol, we notice you slur while you're talking to us. We know you can't hold your balance. And you keep justifying that, but really your name's drunk. You're just a drunk is what you are. And you're justifying it because you love that alcohol more than you love God. Maybe it's time you just say that's what your name is. Maybe your name is Thief. Maybe you steal from the company. You cheat on your taxes. Or you withhold the tithe from God's church. And you need to say, my name's Thief. I steal from you, God. Maybe your name is Murderer. Either something happened in your life that you took someone's life before it ever started. It's not unforgivable. Or maybe you've ruined somebody's reputation, as Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, and you've destroyed them so much you've murdered their reputation. Maybe your name's Murderer. Maybe your name is apathy, which God hates. My name is cultural Christian. I believe the right things about Jesus, but I live however I want to live. I'm apathetic about his church. I attend when it's not too inconvenient for me. I'm never going to immerse myself in the church. I'm never going to be involved in the church. I'm going to be there when it's appropriate, and I'm going to try to see if I can hit one Sunday a month because that's part of my culture, and that's, that's what my family's always done. But it has no impact on my life. And I wouldn't make a sacrifice to be involved in that church. I'll be there if it's easy. And don't even remotely ask me to serve. Maybe that's your name. What, whatever it is, it's time for us to admit it. So you have a new name, this name Israel that Jacob's given. There's much debate about what it actually meant in the Hebrew, what it actually meant when God said it. There's, it. there's definitely this English Standard Version says, one who has striven with God and men, all these Esau, Laban, Isaac, and even his wives that Jacob struggled with, and now he's struggled with God. There's certainly truth to that. But there, there's others that say, really, what god the point God's trying to make here is that Israel means one who's been conquered or mastered by God. Have you been conquered and mastered by God? Or is God still only allowed in certain parts of our lives? God will do whatever it takes to give us the best shot at getting our new name. A.W. Tozer said, God cannot fully bless a man until he conquers him. I'm going to say that again. God cannot truly bless a man or woman until he conquers them. You say, well, now, do we see this throughout Scripture yet? What did Jesus say to everybody that wanted to be his disciple? What's the first thing he said? Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. Die. This This theme continues from the beginning all the way to the end. Die. Get a new name. Get a new beginning. Get a new life. You and I need a new spirit. My question is, examine yourself. Do you see any evidence of the new spirit? Well, if it's not there, we're the problem. It's not because he can't do it. God will do whatever it takes, including knocking our hip out of socket. Jacob thinks he's doing really well, and all it took for God to do is just say, boop. You see how silly we are? God was never never not in control of this wrestling match. He allowed Jacob to struggle. He'll allow you to struggle. He allows me to struggle. But he's completely in control. Why the hip? Probably applies to the men more than the women. But the women, you got your own stuff. For the men of this culture, this is where they thought they were the strongest. Was in their hips. Because this is where, I'll be very, very mild with this. This is where they would produce offspring. This is where they would protect themselves. If you could get in battle, they would always protect this area of their body for obvious reasons. Also, God's covenant was in an area of a man's body. And this is where they considered their strength and their vitality to come from. So what did God do? Let me knock that out of socket for you. Has he knocked your socket out of place yet? He's willing. He sure has me, and he will you too. Whatever it is you think is more important than him, he'll get it, and he'll destroy it if you repent. Final point. Rick, why is all this important? Because time's running out. Look look, at 29 through 31. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he says, why is it you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I've seen God face to face and yet yet my life has been delivered. 31, the sun rose upon him and he passed Peniel, Peniel limping because of his hip. Now listen, this is big. Remember that the Lord is telling Jacob, let me go before this sun comes up. Why? If Jacob doesn't repent... And he sees God's face, he's dead. You saw this in in, in the Old Testament. They couldn't look at God. And he says, You better get this new name before the sun comes up, or when you see my face, you're gonna die. And what does Jacob say? "I, I acknowledge my sin. I've been given a new name, so I saw his face and I didn't die. How does that apply to us? The day of the Lord morning's coming if you and i strut ourselves in the presence of the one and only living god without jesus his holiness will kill us he can't help it he can't not be holy that's why we have to be made what fully righteous and who makes us fully righteous jesus You know what he says in John 15? I'm the vine. My Father's the vine dresser. Connect yourself to me. Abide in me as I abide in you because without me, you can't do anything about your situation. It's a one-step program. Repent and abide in Jesus. And then he changes you. By what? Abiding in him. What's abide mean? Make a decision to remain, to act in accordance with. It's not a mild cultural belief system. It is a total lifestyle under the authority of Christ at the forefront and the foundation. And all who do that, he radically changes. You seek me, you'll find me. Come near to me, I'll come near to you. I love this. He says, if you abide in me... I will produce, what? Much fruit in you, proving that you're my disciple. So what is the disciple? One that bears much fruit. Fruit of what? Fruit of the Spirit. And then you could say to be a disciple, you bear much fruit. What kind of fruit are you and I bearing? Time's running out. Time's running out. What is it in your life and in my life that today is the day that we need to acknowledge, that we need to call sin? If not, his holiness will kill us, and the day is about to break. I love 31. The sun rose upon him as he passed Pennial, limping because of his hip. I'll give you an analogy as I'm getting older. I knew I was getting older when I began to get injured sleeping. <laughs> Rick, what's wrong? I have no idea. I don't know what happened. <laughs> but anyway, I have a limp, as you've probably noticed. And I remember the first time somebody said to me, what's wrong with you? And I didn't know what they were talking about. I said, what do you mean? They said, well, you're limping. And you know what I said? This was Jacob. I think that's just the way I walk now. This, this injury is so severe, it shows when I walk. You think Jacob ever forgot this encounter? Do you think God was not able to remove the hip? Some of you health, wealth, and prosperity people say, Jacob didn't have enough faith. He should have named it and claimed it. (laughs) No. God could have removed the limp. He just didn't. Why? Because the limp was good for him. Remember Paul? I've asked you three times to remove this thorn from my flesh, and you won't do it. And then God, then he, But he didn't leave it unanswered. You didn't remove it because it keeps me humble. It reminds me of the grace that you have shown me. So I what? Celebrate my weakness. I celebrate calamity. Because why? When I'm weak, then I'm strong. Why is that? God loves us so much he'll take us to a place where we say, I got no hope but you. I wish, I wish that I would do that without him doing that to me. I just don't seem to be able to pull that off. So difficulty has always been used by God to radically change me. So now we're to the point of response. In Acts chapter 2, we see Peter finally delivers the message correctly after he received the Holy Spirit, incredible message from God. And it said that everybody who heard Peter, the scriptures tell us in Acts chapter 2 that their hearts were pierced. It it, it cut. The Holy Spirit convicted them of their sin. They needed a new name. And they cried out to Peter, what are we supposed to do? And let me tell you what Peter did not do. Y'all just go home, God works that out. I don't even, I don't want to freak some people out in the modern Western church. They even gave a number, a number of how many people repented. It's actually in the Bible. So when they asked Peter what they were supposed to do, guess what Peter said? Repent. I mean, there's, there's the question. What am I supposed to do? I'm under conviction. What am I supposed to do? Peter said, I'll tell you what to do. Repent. That's what Jesus taught us. You turn a 180 from that sin that you won't call sin, and you acknowledge it, and then you rise and you come forward and be baptized into the Holy Spirit. What is your name? This altar is about to be open for you. And I would highly encourage you to step out where you are, get on your face before the Lord, and get your new name. I'll be down here at the front. Our pastors are here if you need to talk to somebody about a first-time decision or something that's prompted you today. And we'll stay here until we're done. But no matter what the situation is, whatever this message has said to you, because I know what it said to me, the altar is going to now be open for you to respond any way you need to. The stand. Lord, I pray, right now all across this room, as your holy spirit has convicted all of us of the sins in our life. If we really seek a new beginning today, Lord, then we have to acknowledge the things in our life that are sin and call them sin. And you said you'll forgive us. That's that's the beauty. If we'll just point to these things and say, that's my name, that's what I won't give you. I still love this sin more than I love you, but today that changes. All over the room, Lord, I pray that you'll prompt people, no matter how uncomfortable it may make them, you said clearly in your scriptures that any of us that will acknowledge you before men, you'll acknowledge us before the Father. That's not a private thing. And you said, Any of us that deny you before men, you'll deny us before the Father. Those are very convicting words. There's just something about publicly declaring, I want to be right with God, whatever that may be. And don't let our pride have people peek up out of their prayers and go, I wonder which one of the things on the list they're repenting of. That's none, nobody's business between you and them. Now, if you're here and you want to talk to me, and you said, I don't even think I belong to Jesus or I need to be baptized, I'm being disobedient, I have not publicly acknowledged Christ, whatever it may be, I'm here to talk to you. And we'll pray about that privately and we'll get somebody to help you. But don't let this opportunity pass. You step out where you are and you just come from. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.